Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. I hope you're all well. I'm your host, Stu Whiffin, and for the next hour or so, I will be taking you on a journey, and someone will be accompanying me on that musical journey, and we'll be talking about their creative journey, and the songs that have soundtracked that, and the person that will be joining me today is Wes Saunders, MD of Defected, um, arguably the, the biggest thing in house music, um, label, events, management, you name it, they're on it, and they do it well. I think you'll all be familiar with the, the solid branding as well. Like it, it all just looks incredible. And I get an insight throughout this podcast as to how Wesley's journey through um, smaller labels that he'd set up and, and radio plug-in and DJing, and all these twists and turns in his in his journey have, have ended up landing him what I can only imagine is the dream job. It's an amalgamation of all of the things that he's that have been his passions for for his life and, and we go in on it and it's and it's a really enjoyable chat. Um before we do get on with it, I just want to thank the Distraction Pieces Network for putting this out. I would also like to thank Mr. 76 for producing this and my name is Ad for doing the artwork. If you like this podcast and you want to hear more from interesting creative people in the music industry, all in the arts in general, um, please go and have a look in the back catalogue because you'll probably see lots of other names that you recognise and you get to find out about their journeys. Um, one other thing, um, if you are also out there and this is your first podcast and you're on out, out there in the podcast abyss and not really knowing what to listen to then there's a new publication it's a print publication it's a digital publication and it's called the pod bible now pod bible will give you interviews with the biggest podcasters out there it will give you an essential guide and well, i'll tell you what just go and have a look www.podbiblemag.com go and have a look and uh, and it's your one-stop guide to everything you need to know about podcasts. All right, I've been talking now for 2 minutes 35, so I'm going to shut up and uh, and get on with the podcast. So please enjoy Off The Beat & Track podcast with the wonderful Mr. Wes Saunders. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. 
go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track podcast. It's a slightly chilly, glum um, Wednesday evening and... uh, but a ray of sunshine has walked into the uh, the, the the shed uh, this evening, and uh, it's this evening's guest, which is Wes Saunders. Hello, thank you for having me, mate. Pleasure. We've just been having a little chat before we started recording as to um, if our paths had crossed, because you literally live ten minutes up the road, don't you? If that, yeah. And uh, and it's, I was actually born where you live as well. Oh, really? And uh, but I kind of. Like, and obviously you live in the same place as, as Screwbiz Pip, which is uh, that, that the listeners are very familiar with. And uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it seems strange that we've not both been involved in in clubs and, and music. That you know, but we have a mutual friend in um, Bill Shepherd, Discotech credits to use like who will be uh, getting to hear his episode coming out soon. So you forget about Discotech credits because you still think of him as Push, push music. music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's still in my phone as Push Bill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, so um, you've kindly sent over your songs and uh, and so we're going to work our way through them and, uh, and have a little chat about um, your creative journey and, um, and what it's involved and, and, and where it's got to at this point. So um, to kick things off, Wes, I ask you to tell me the song that you believe has the greatest intro. So yeah, so this was quite an easy one for me actually, because uh, it's definitely one of my favourite songs of all time. So it's um, Near Eek and Soul, Black Gold of the Sun, actually Four Hero Remix, which is a remix cover of Rotary Connections track with mm-hmm. the same title. I didn't hear the Near Eek and Soul version till perhaps a year after. I've only out. heard the Four Hero one. Oh really? Yeah. 
And uh, I, I, when, the four, when Four Hero um, released Star Chasers in 98, I wanted to learn a little bit more about Four Hero. So I remember talking to a friend of mine who played me the remix of Black Gold of the Sun and obviously loved it. Um, so I went to Brickhouse, you know Brickhouse? Of course, Lloyd. go and yeah, see Lloyd. Brickhouse in, in Greys and asked Lloyd, who many people might remember as Benny Lopez. Of but, course. Um, yeah, as usual, we went to his vertical stack of records and pulled it out of nowhere and, and uh, it was like a 97 promo of uh, On Talking Loud and it had Masters at Work remix nice. and it had Four Hero remixes and he was the first person that told me that Nuri Soul was actually Masters at Work. Right. So there was no internet back then and uh, I had no idea that Nuri Soul was, of course, Kenny Dope and Louis Vega yeah. with Salsa Orchestra. Um, so the I cover, didn't know that. You didn't know that? No. So the cover version lends itself heavily to the Rotary uh, Connection original and in Four Heroes mix, pretty much the best part of what I think is like a four minute intro um, and then drops into that liquid-esque drum mm. and bass vibe which blended two of my favourite genres at the time yeah. and still to this day. So, But 98 at the time that I first heard that record was, was actually a real defining moment in my life as well because... Um, it was after 10 years of growing up through the back end of Acid House and the whole rave jungle hardcore scene and into Sasha and Digweed that my musical journey kind of led me to a moment when I really started to focus my love and understanding of house music. Um, and arguably this record is, is kind of part of, part of that. But before that, everything was just dance music. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, like I say, not only is it one of my top f like five of all time, but it was actually my introduction to Four Hero, to Jocelyn Brown, and to, um, of course, Masters at Work. And even now, like when we're working with Kenny and Louie, and I sort yeah. of, if we're doing like a gig or we've done releases or whatever, I sometimes think about it. And they, they uh, were the kings of remixes, weren't yeah. they, at that point? Oh, yeah, they were. Yeah, re they really were. So, for listeners, I've not actually mentioned um, your, your job. So, you're the MD That's right. of Defected. I'm managing director of Defected Records. Yes. Um, is it Defected or Defective Records? Defected Records right. Limited is the company. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm managing director, but we're not just a, a record label. No. Um, we are mainly known as from the recordings business, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of the younger generations now will recognize us from the kind of events perspective. But mm -hmm. we have um, multiple facets of the business. We're a record label, we're an events business, we're a management company, we're an agency, we're a publisher. Um, we have multiple brands, including Defected, including Glitterbox, which has really kind of taken off over the past couple of years, and Classic Music Company, which is uh, run by Luke Solomon um, and synonymous with Derek Carter, who's been involved in that for, for a long time. Um, actually, Classic's actually older than Defected. Not many people know that. Oh, Defected's really? 20 years old this year, and Classic, I think, is 25 years old, maybe, now. Uh, I should know that, really. But Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about the, the label more as we work our way through this, but um, going back to the, the, the concept of intro, and I don't know how, as MD, what your... What, what your position is within the company for like A&R and things like that. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I've gone into this conversation with lots of sort of, you know, whether it be bands, DJs, producers, whatever. I'm just interested in, in more of an industry stance on it, insofar as the song that you've chosen, like you say, has got a four-minute <laughs> intro before it sort of drops, really. So yeah. in, in regards to the way that, that younger people ingest their music now, whereas it's, you know, how many Shazams they get and, and you know, how, 
the attention span maybe that they've not gone through that journey that you've gone to to queue up in this weird little shop called Brickhouse where you can <laughs> there's just a face behind just a pile of records how that shop health and safety never shut that shop down it's unbelievable yeah. but now everything is so disposable so instant like is it in the artists that you've worked with or some artists are, you know explain if you can the importance of the intro in, in in music specifically dance music i guess well i have a couple of views on that actually i mean just just Quickly going back to, to New York and Soul, I, I'm not so sure the record would have worked today, actually. Yeah. I mean, not to say it's not a brilliant record, there's no question about that, but it is, I mean, if, if you want to break the song down, the intro does, the, the actual, technically the intro is about, is about a minute long, and then, but as I said, the kind of the starting point of the record, until it switches, because the four hero mix is obviously supposed to be different to the alternative versions, and the original version, it, it goes into drum and bass record. Um, but to that point, it's like four, four minutes. Uh, I don't think the kids would have the patience to this listen is, to something like it, that. Yeah. I mean, I might be, you know, there are certainly heads mm. of kids out there that will, that will understand the kind of a, a journey yeah. in a record. But, you know, we come from generations where a record was eight minutes long mm -hmm. or 12 minutes long mm -hmm. or 16 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> Some records are that long. But now with this kind of streaming generation... And it is a bit throwaway. A lot of um, a lot of the way that the kids consume media. So you know they'll download an app off the app store. They get bored of it. They delete it. They move on to another one. Twitter, 140 characters down your timeline. Instagram, liking 10 or 20 photos in one go. Facebook is like more of an older generation. Music across Spotify and Apple Music tends to be you know the the, the tracks that tend to have the the more streams are under three minutes long, and they are edits of records. So what we do. Is we take into account two things really. Firstly, as a dance music, house music record label, we uh, there is absolutely the need for a full length version of a record. So mm -hmm. you will have a DJ like friendly. Most of the consumption, or at least the purchasing, or at least the downloads world that can still exist today, comes from DJs playing our records. So that does need a long version. But so, but by that you mean obviously it's. DJs can mix it. They've got time to yeah, mix the track. And, that, and that's, that's so you, you say about the intro. In that case, what's required of an intro of a song yeah. is a, a mixable element to a record. So you need sure. X amount of beats and bars yeah. of drums or whatever mm. it is that enables a DJ to mix two records together. The skills, you know, there are technically good DJs out there, but it's become a little bit more. Um, easier to kind of mix those sorts of, of records because yeah. lots of people will be making music on computers and they you know give you that opportunity to to actually mix um, like you know x amount of beats or bars whatever but for from a streaming point of view which you mentioned is it has to be really punchy in a very much the same way as a radio edit you need to be suckered in immediately so actually there probably aren't many intros to songs yeah you think about a radio edit a three minute or two minute radio edit which ultimately then now are being used for shorter version on streaming services they will just go straight in yeah. with a hook get you in immediately yeah. and that's what keeps the listeners going and if you have an eight minute long record on streaming services the kids are going to skip through yeah. it they're either not going to listen or they're going to go to the next song mm. so it's it's an interesting point actually because I think from you know pop records that's fine 
I, I, yeah, I, I guess the question probably does lend itself more to commercial pop music. I yeah. think you know that that has to have that instant, or you know. But I guess for for house music, you know, you do have to have them full versions to to make a mixable. I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay. Was there any other considerations? Obviously, you, you, you did you go straight for this one? Um. No, this this was the one that came to my mind immediately. It, yeah. Like I say, it, it's really it's it's a really personal record to me, and yeah. it just I, I don't know. I always just loved the intro of it, and it's yeah. you know I, I would have I would have no other considerations that yeah. come to mind for me actually. I mean, that's not to say there's not some great intros out there, and I'm mm. really on the spot to try to think of something that I yeah. think is 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 good. But um, yeah, that's this was the one that stuck out by a country mile. Okay. Um, for track two, Wes, I'm going to ask you what the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. And I'm going to, and I'm going to call you out as well, mate. <laughs> I knew you were going to do this. Of course I'm going to, mate. Shall I call myself Go on, do way? it, mate. So the first thing that came to mind, <laughs> and it's not what I'm going to talk about, because after I thought about this question, was, um, uh, uh, this is not my answer, but... Actually, the first thing that came to mind when you asked me that question, ironically, was Elton John, Candle yeah. in the Wind. And the reason I say that was because um, during, when I was at school, or when I left school, all of my mates were working in like McDonald's and JD Sports. Yeah. Whatever. In fact, I had a temporary job in JD Sports, but I hated it. Like I was never, I never wanted to work in a shop. Um, and my dad, had, I'd, I'd already had decks from a younger age, and my dad had a huge record collection, and he suggested to me that I did mobile DJing and that he would take me to the gigs and uh, I would pay him, although I think I don't think I ever did, ever. Um, so probably I owe him a few quid for that. Um, and uh, I would DJ and that's, so my mates were earning, you know, 125 quid a week if they were lucky and I was getting like 500 quid to do a wedding or a christening yeah. or whatever in one weekend. So, I, you know, I wasn't DJing every weekend but it was it was enough for me in a week than than what they were earning in a month. Mm. Anyway, I DJed a christening, and um, obviously it was emotional time, Princess Diana dying. My mum mm. was really close to, I was, you know, had a real close um, uh, affiliation to, to Princess Diana. I didn't know her personally, just mm. loved everything she stood for. Yeah. And um, I DJed this christening, and I got asked to play Candle in the Wind four times. And the first time, my dad was like, you should play it. And I was like, okay. And mm. I played it. And as you can imagine, that is, you know, an mm. absolute mood killer. Yeah. The second time, I was asked by the, the person who's christening it was their daughter. And uh, that was, I was, she's about seven years old, the kid. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to play it again. Yeah. And then I got asked the third time. And I was like, right, that's the last time I'm playing the record. Yeah. And I did end up playing it full time. And that... That really, I mean, it, it, it touched me from, from, it touched the nation, actually. Yeah. And that was the first thing that came to mind. But I did change my answer um, and uh, when I thought about it, because your, your question is the first song that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah. So after I thought of that, I thought about Iris' Wonderwall. Um, and, and the reason for that, which has been quite amazing, is that that, that record has um, been with me for a number of, of life-changing moments, um, adolescence, Meeting my wife, my relationship with my brother, he died, which I'll t talk about later, and, and it became really emotional to me. But then I was thinking, not so sure that that's the right answer either. And, and actually what I came up with was um, Mars Pump Up The Volume. Oh, what a fucking <laughs> So So this is, this is why I, I say Mars Pump Up The Volume, right? So picture the, picture the scene, I'm seven years old, right? Mm -hmm. My dad, Flora Leo, used to work all over the country. 
he'd come home with Star Wars figures or records or whatever else, and he's come in, and he's like, sit, he played this, this record, and up until that point in my life, my musical experience, seven years old, right, is either pop music or what your parents listening to. So, my, Can I just interrupt then? Yeah. Because I, I like to generally ask at some point, was there music on at home? And if so, all, what was all it? All the time. All the time. So, and, and that, you know, I'll answer that. So, that, you, it, was, it was either like black music, soulful, blues, singers, mum and dad were into Motown, the Jacksons, Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, or bands. Um, my dad was forever playing like Pink Floyd, The Eagles, The Doors, or The Beatles on a Sunday morning. You come down the stairs, he'd be sat in front of his stereo, blasting out his records. And it's his a decent education now. Yeah. Well, his absolute fave was um, was David Bowie, which of course were part of the glam rock culture, influenced yeah. the whole New Romantics era. So naturally, we had you know Culture Club and Spano Ballet and Duran Duran being yeah. played. It was the eighties, after all. And the other one was Prince, um, who actually to this day is is a significant influence on me. The defected business, the defected owner Simon Dunmore, and even the Glitterbox brand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so pump up the volume. I'm seven. Dad sits me down, start telling me, look, this is a sample from James Brown. This is Eric B and Rakim. This is African Bambata. This is Cool and the Gang. And all of a sudden, your dad's like, a dude. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell him that. He like that. Um, he is. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening afterwards, you are a dude. Um, and then all of a sudden I was sort of like, you know what, hang on, you can make music out of bits of other music, like, you know, what the hell? Yeah. And I, was comp- I wasn't just touched by this, I was absolutely walloped, like, I'd gone from watching Top of the Pops and there being a man and a guitar or a piano or, or you know, a solo singer or, or whatever, rhythm and blues, to this concept of taking tons of samples of music and putting them together and creating something else. How old would you have been then, Wes? Seven seven years old and my mum and dad bought me not long after that bought me this little Gemini sampler thing that I never learned how to use it I was far too young but it was um, it was it was something I kept for a long long time and it, it used to make siren noises and it would just take little samples out and I, I, I should I should dig out what the model was of that but it was just a kind of quite a small unit that, to, to play with but then from from that point my dad and my kind of interest in Ensemble based stuff. My dad then introduced me to Cold Cut, um, and at, like, at the time, People Hold On was a popular record that mm. everybody knew about. You, you ever flipped that, the B side? Well, I, not for a long time. So yeah. It's not fresh in my mind. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it's the B side of Doctor in the House. Right, okay. The B side of that is just little samples all oh, the it? way through. Okay. And yeah, I've got, got a mate of mine who literally he went to me, You bought Doctor in the House? I was like, No, and he went, <laughs> Flip it. And like listen to it, and it's it must have been tailor made for a DJ back then. Uh, cold cut. Your dad is a cool guy, man. I'm telling you. But he from from there, like it was all you know. It was um, Doctor in the House, and then um, Beats and P- P- mm-hmm. uh, Beats and Pieces series, uh, and then obviously that led me to this like fine ninja tune, and and obviously I still have massive love and respect for them today. Um, I remember year before, well, 2017, we were at a DJ Mag Awards and Cola had been nominated for Track of the Year and they won um, a Lifetime Music Award or a, a Label of the Year and I think Bicep had won the Track of the Year and it was just like, even now to this day, they're so yeah. relevant and it's, um, that for me, I mean, they've, they've you know, certainly left a big part of an impression on my sort of musical journey. That's, that's some insane music to be, Listening to it at seven years of age, Wes, that's like, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the writing's on the wall already there, right? I'll tell you this, right? So Christmas, 
I don't even know what year it was now. Maybe maybe it was a Christmas 97 or 98. My parents bought me a uh, Sony Walkman. And um, you talk about, you said the writing's on the wall. They bought me a Sony Walkman which had um, a tape deck on it. and uh, Sorry, of course it had a tape deck on it. It had a radio on it. And I, Father Christmas used to always leave our presents in our bedroom. So opened it up, opened this thing, amazing, got this, mum, dad, look what I've got, run to the top of the stairs, dropped it down the stairs, right? And this was an era that your parents didn't go and take stuff back, yeah, that was your present, going, taking stuff back was a mission, and yeah. that, if they accepted it at all, I mean, you know, that could have been purchased six months earlier, I have yeah. no idea, but anyway, so I couldn't play the tape deck, and all I could tune into was the radio, and the only station I could pick up was... Kiss FM while it was illegal. Right. So I used to listen to like Colin Dell, Colin Favor, Trevor Nelson when he was Mad Hatter, yeah. and all this sort of stuff on, on Kiss, listening to music. I had no idea what it was, but I just really liked it. And then when my mates listening to Michael Jackson and Madonna and Annie Lennox, and I'm listening to stuff, I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Um, and then my cousins uh, were Acid House DJs. Um, so that kind of helped me to kind of understand what some of those records were. So that's what I was going to say, like, um, was you already sort of, because um, uh, like I say, you say most of your friends are listening to like Eurythmics and Madonna and stuff like that, yeah. I mean, but w was that stuff that you was aware of and was listening to as well when it was, was there, was you, was you not interested in pop music? If I'm totally honest with you, um, I like Michael Jackson, mm -hmm. um, my mum was, you know, listened to the Jacksons and Michael Jackson more so than my dad, but she she was a big fan, so I was, I was a Michael Jackson fan. Never really into Madonna, mm -hmm. never. Um, I never liked Annie Lennox, I mean, the only song I could even tell you was Walking on Broken Glass. Mm. I just never, I was never really into pop music, yeah. like, I, I don't know, something is just in your makeup, I think, yeah. that makes you kind of like certain things. Like. You know when I mean you you've got a, a young daughter as well, right? So I don't know if you do you have a family Spotify plan? We do, yeah. So can you see what she's listening to? Yeah. Right. So my daughter works for me and I can see that she'll be listening to Little Mix and Spice Girls and yeah. whatever else. Which, you know, she's a nineteen year old girl, yeah. she loves house music, she goes to clubs, but she still likes to listen to those things. I never listen to those things like that. Mm. Never. Um and my son is is a bit like me in a sense that he's um, he'll be 17 shortly and he is not really into pop music like he mm. listens to quite obscure like electronica kind of band stuff mm. so he likes dance music but he's not quite there yet and um, yeah as a, as a result I just I don't know I don't know what it was that made me feel different I mean my cousins who were Acid House DJs were definitely um, influences on me in a big way I mean, one of my cousins is, is, you know, he's one of my very best friends and one of my favourite people in the entire world. And he's still Perry Kay, still DJing on Centre Force, used to do Rain Dance and Moon Dance and all that. So he, he had a lot of um, a lot of input into my what I went through in my yeah. in my youth culture, learning about from Acid House to Jungle to like rave hardcore kind of era through to sort of Speed Garage and House and even Trance and whatever. Um, and my other cousin, who's 10 years older than us, he, neither of them were like, or he wasn't a, a big acid house DJ, but he was DJing at that time. So similarly for him, I think he, he'd gone through a stage where he stopped being into the records that everybody was playing. So Marshall Jefferson or 
you know, tears or, yeah, or yeah, movie yeah, body yeah. or whatever. For, for those DJs, they must have heard it so many times. He just wasn't interested in one. He gave me all those records when right. I was like 13. So I like do, Joe Smooth, Promised Land yeah. and Champion Records and all these things. And so I'm like, don't know what any of it is. Remember hearing some of it on the radio and yeah. you just start to make that connection. Yeah. Amazing. Well, well, we'll talk a bit more about this as well, because as you know, the 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 following questions are going to be about school and, yeah. and your kind of how you then develop. But it sounded like you was developing your taste from very very early age. Yeah. But um, <coughs> for track three, um, ask you what song reminds you of school. Um, similarly to number two, actually, I, I think my original reaction was uh, was crisscross jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was always an interesting. I mean, hip hop was 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 happening, but I wasn't really. I'm not an expert in hip hop at all. I mean, my DJ partner, um, while I was DJing as Wes Saunders and um, as as one more, was was Marky C, and he, excuse me, <coughs> he's a big um, like he knows his shit when it comes down to hip hop. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to. Say yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and um, I mean, he knows his shit when he comes down to music, but he. Uh, he, he he was always into to hip hop and me less so, but Crisscross Jump, um, yeah, Crisscross Jump, was a was a big record, and that as soon as I hear that, it reminds me of you know being at school. But I was thinking again, I was thinking a lot about this on my way here actually while I was driving, and um, I think it's House of Pain, Jump Around, right? Um, because and the first time I heard that, the Premier League had just begun, we were at youth club. I say the Premier League, by the way, because my two, my my three loves in life are my family and friends, um, which count as one, uh, music and football. Um, so I either associate most things with a song I've heard yeah. or the football. So House of Pain, jumping around, Premier League just begun. We're at youth club, about 12, jumping around like lunatics. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward, actually, to 2015. Um, we, we did our first defected Croatia festival. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at the Garden Resort in Tisno, and um, Ill Phil and Chris Lorenzo had done like a baseline version called Jump a Fucking Round, which was um, just given out to some like DJ friends. And I played back to back on a similar black boat party with Low Stepper, uh, Man Vat Clue, Josh Butler, and another. And it was just one of those parties when you absolutely had the crowd in your hands, yeah. you know what I mean? And it was amazing. Like everybody was just connected, and it was it was really insane. I mean, yeah. even to this day, people are still come and talk to me about it. There was sit downs, the lot, you know. And I played that, given the fact that it was like it wasn't a party set, although it became that way. To yeah, 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 yeah. I dropped Chris and Phil's mix of Jump Around, yeah. and it went absolutely off. And I've got a video actually, even telling you that now. Your hair's <laughs> yeah, and I've got verified that. Some goosebumps going <laughs> goosebumps. on now. Uh, it's one of the best gigs I've ever played, and the, the record's just so impactful. And, yeah. um, and but. And I, and I kind of thought about that. That night, I remember laying in, in a bed in Croatia and thinking how amazing that was. And it just brought me back to my to my school years. And yeah. even even kind of reminded me of some of the other things that we were listening to at the time, because we were perhaps a little bit late to the prodigy and things like that. Mm. And it was all around the same time that we really started getting into those yeah. sort of, you know, those kind of acts as well. And yeah. Jump around could easily be in the, the greatest intro as well. It's the Bob and Earl Harlem Shuffle sample, <laughs> isn't it? And like it's just that big call of arms before it goes, <clears throat> and it always goes. You yeah. can't not if that gets played and you don't get a reaction, then you're doing something wrong <laughs> something for sure. Yeah. 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 So, so you grew up Stanford. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. East Tilbury actually. My, my um, okay. 
parents moved out of East London. We were born in... I was born in East London, Newham Hospital, um, West Ham, West Ham fan, and uh, parents lived in Green Street and a number of other areas around there, and then moved to East Tilbury when I was a baby, pretty much. Parent, my grandparents had mm-hmm. moved out here, and um, yeah, grew up in East Tilbury, and then uh, uh, since uh, meeting my wife, we now live in Corinham, actually, so still, still in the area, still in the vicinity. Thank you very much. We've just your, uh, your lovely wife has just brought cakes in. Which is amazing. <laughs> Do you want a top up on your coffee? I would love a top up on your coffee. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Cheers. Oh yeah, go on then. Lovely. Thank you very much. No Keeps it real, doesn't it? This. Milk and tea straighteners, please. Thank you very much. Cheers. If anyone's listening to that, feel free to send me coffee. <laughs> um. So yeah. So you moved to East Tilbury from. Yeah, East from, London. from East London, and then... Um, and East Tilbury's a strange place. <laughs> like, well, it's not a strange place, I shouldn't say that. I've got loads of my mates that probably going to listen to this. They're going, oh, what's your fucking problem with East Tilbury? <laughs> Pretty much like one way in, one way out. Exactly. It's not on the way to anywhere. Yeah. It's it's just kind of... Yeah, it's, it's standalone, yeah. and it's quite... Everyone knows everyone. It's a very, very sort of small kind of... Yeah, I don't know. We were... We were the the middle of the first generation of people that lived in East yeah. Tilbury. So there were people around, and I think I'm right in saying up to six or seven years older than me, perhaps even my uncle who was, I think, actually I'm not 100% sure how old he is, but he might be 10 years older than me as well. But we were part of what I would consider the, the first generation of kids in East Tilbury, but we were at the end of it. We were the younger ones of the first generation of kids in East Tilbury. And it Tilbury. was all built right. around the Barter factory, wasn't it? Yeah. So Barter was a big shoe manufacturer and, and shoe shops. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you still see them in some places in Europe. Like I, I went to, I can't remember where I went to with my family, and there was a Barter shop yeah. selling shoes. Yeah. And I was just like, it's mad. Like Czech, I think they're from Czechoslovakia, if I'm right, and yeah. they... They still sell them in, in Czechoslovakia. Yeah. So. And the whole kind of, of East Tilbury and, and the place next to it, like Limford, Limford and that, would, yeah. would, 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 <laughs> most people worked in and around that, that factory, didn't they, in that area? It was uh, the, yeah. the kind of centre point of why that place sort of was, was so well developed, I guess. Yeah, I think before, if I'm right, it used to be called Fenlands Park, I think, till That's the right. 80s, till maybe late 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, all of those generation worked in the factory. Mm-hmm. But my parents' generation... And my grandparents, they weren't. They didn't mm. work in the factory. I mean, some worked in the docks. My dad was a floor layer. My mum worked in, as a legal secretary. Those people were commuting. But East Tilbury had one way in and one way out. Has, still has one way in <laughs> and one way out. And if you get stuck at the train station on the way in... There's a bloody train crossing there as well. You're late for dinner. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so... But the, the thing is, when I was growing up, there, there was the bar of... Um, hotel which was opposite the factory had a supermarket there were a couple of little shops fruit and veg and whatever and there was an estate agent because that was my dad's that's all right okay yeah i was gonna say and there was the estate agent and there was a this and that shop which sold like you know just odds and ends and then there was a small uh, convenience shop um in the heart of east tilbury and i say heart i mean i don't know how many people live there but it's not big at all and then so all you really had was that, and then there was the complex, which had the football pitches. So we were either into... I mean, at, at this time, when I was, like, under secondary school age, you obviously can't venture out anywhere else. So it was safe, you know. Parents used to 
let us out, we'd all be gangs of like 20, 30 of us playing football all day long. And then as you start to grow up and you find music and girls and whatever else, mm -hmm. you kind of, you're still all in the same area doing the same things and sharing the same interests and, and experiences. And we, you know, we did used to all go to raves together in the 90s when we started to get, we wasn't old enough, but you know, when we started to be able to figure out ways we could go to raves. Um, and you, and you, we grew up really listening to the same things. Um, so would you, you felt a connection to your, the, the people you were yeah, hanging around with? Absolutely, yeah. And it, it's like if if somebody were really passionate about what they were listening to, you kind of started listening to that as well. And and I was kind of, I don't know whether it wasn't me that influenced it because I had friends that were probably a little bit more connected in the like jungle and drum and bass world as we were growing up, but. They uh, was they, that the what was at the forefront of what at school pretty much like sort of in, in dance music was it the jungle kind of yeah right I mean in, in terms of a timeline my introduction was the talent of Acid House but the more commercial accessible stuff that because just purely in the nature of the records I was given by my mm -hmm. cousin then it was like Prodigy and the rave stuff you know yep. Sesame Street and all the kind of stuff that made the, yep. the charts like. Um, you know, easy good and all that. Everything easy good, yeah. Mr. C and whatever. The XL catalog and the KLF mm. and all that sort of thing. Mm. And then, yeah, and the XL catalog, of course. And then um, from there, the rave scene kind of split into two. So it was like hardcore or jungle. I was always much more of a jungleist. I mm. didn't really like the hardcore stuff. Mm. Um, so you go from jungle into drum and bass, and then drum and bass evolved for me into um, speed garage actually, because mm -hmm. when it got to that point, I wasn't really into what had started to happen with drum and bass, I, I was more into jungle at the time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, you got Dex by then? I had Dex, yeah. And then um, I got into uh, Speed Garage and then the nightclub scene, and then the nightclub scene introduced me to Ministry of Sound, and then Ministry of Sound introduced me um, to trance, and it, during even while that Speed Garage trance sort of tape, like switch was going on, I'd started to find house music and then I'd started to listen to Kiss in Ibiza and that, that whole kind of, again, obvious records, Ultra Flavor, Living Joy and those yeah. sorts of things that you would just hear everywhere. See the Kiss stickers on the back of the cars and mm. want one. and um, I, So I kind of was in between like two or three scenes, but I wouldn't allow myself at the time to, to accept that I was into house music because it was cooler to be into like trance or, or what became progressive house mm. hello i've interrupted the podcast again haven't i sorry it won't take a sec all i want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast if we can't play them it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such so if you want to hear the songs just go over to spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side um, and, and, you know, Speed Garage became a guilty pleasure. I would mm. be in absolute denial that I liked it. Mm. And I loved it, really. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of... In, and then you start to get into that youth... That's an age thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like... yeah. And the kids do it now. Mm. I mean, 
there's a lot of followers that are following the Tech House fad mm. because they think it's cool, mm. and it is cool to them. And you know, in 20 years' time, in a sitting across a desk being interviewed by someone like yourself, they mm. probably won't remember very many. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas you know, I'm still playing house and speed garage records today. Yeah. Well, I've retired now, but I was still playing mm. um, those records as of last year. So, at, like at school, you mentioned Kiss earlier, but um, for, for radio. But was there? I mean, was this around the time, or was this a little bit before then? Like pirate radio, because as we, you know, living in Essex, we was exposed to a lot of that, yeah. and there were some really decent stations at that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And was was that on the radar? Yeah, there's there's a few. I mean, I, I don't really, in all honesty, I don't really know what I'm talking about when it comes to pirate radio. Weirdly. Mark, who I mentioned earlier, and my cousin Perry were both big pirate radio station DJs. Like mm. they, I say big, they they were religiously used to go to pirate radio. And I used to go with, with my cousin. I never actually went to radio with Mark until probably 10 years ago, maybe, 10, 12 years ago. Um, but my cousin, I remember going to a block of flats on a couple of occasions, driving up to see him in London, going up to the top floor, climbing out the window and into a mm. kitchen of a derelict flat and him being in there DJing on yeah. the radio. Um, but I never I never got involved in that. Yeah. I never had any interest in being a radio uh, DJ. I meant as a listener more than anything. Yeah, weirdly as well, considering the whole journey that I took with with KISS and how influential it was on, on my life, it wasn't something that... It wasn't something that I wanted to do, but as a listener, I don't know. I, I started, I think once I started, once I had decks myself and I was trying to make mixtapes or t just tapes, I, I, I used to, even my first car had a tape player in it, um, and I would make, I would go and record my vinyl onto that and listen to that. And mm. it, it's, um, you know, years after my Sony Walkman stopped working. Um, but by that time, I'd gone into like trying to make my own stuff. So I'd be listening to the records that I wanted to play on, like, on repeat. Okay. Well, before we get into you starting to make music as well, then, while, while, while we're talking about records, then it seems fitting that track four is the first record you remember buying. Yep. Do you know what? The first record I remember buying was, was Origin Unknown, Valley of Shadows. Mm -hmm. And I... Obviously, everyone called it Long Dark Tunnel. No one knew what the real name was. It Long Dark Tunnel's sort of in brackets after it, isn't <laughs> well, it? Well, I think, I think unofficially. But I think if yeah. you look at the original RAM release, it's not. Yeah. Also, did you know it's called Valley of the Shadows? Did you know? No. That? No, me neither. I always, to this day, thought it was Valley of Shadows. Yeah. Apparently, and then so I'm just going to get my phone and never. It is there. It's definitely got it's, there in it's it. There. It's there, which is mad. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I don't remember where I heard it. Uh, I think it was off of a tape pack, maybe Helter Skelter or something like that at my friend's house. And again, to explain that to listeners that might not have understood, you know, know what we're talking about is a tape pack. It was like, so this would be, I, I imagine this is what you're talking about. In, in a lot of independent sort of dance, specialist <laughs> record shops and things like that, you would get like a box with maybe like six <laughs> tapes in it. No, mate. It was, sometimes they were, you could get like the, the double, if you were lucky to buy like a, Helter Skelter or World Dance or United Dance Super Pack, it yeah. could be like 12 tapes in there, yeah. mate. They were like, they was the daddy. And that, they were the holy grail, weren't yeah. they? Because you could find, that was where it all was on them yeah. tapes, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, God, sorry, I just wanted to explain no, no, that no, for no, the that's, listeners. That's, I don't know what. That's a good point. You forget, you forget don't you, yourself? Mm. Like, like I say, the, the impact and the influence that. My, my mates used to live and die by those things and we would, we would listen to them 
back to front a hundred times and then someone would share them and they'd buy another one and it would just go round in a circle. But yeah, so I think I heard it on a tape pack. I'm pretty sure I did. I remember my, my friend Kev's house and I, that was, I think that's where I first heard it. And at the time I used to get all, like my dad took, used to take me to Brickhouse Records. Like the first place that he took me was a record shop that I remember buying a record that wasn't our price or um, yeah. Uh, John Menzies yeah. or Woolworths, yep. all of which none of which Rest exist anymore. <laughs> um, was 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 Brickhouse. Yeah. Um, I don't know if my dad was aware of other independent record shops around, but you I could... mean, it took, to, to where we where we lived, in, in regards to because it wasn't just a dance specialist. You could go in there and buy this record shop. Like it's so hard to explain. It was in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't in the tan. It was it was set on the outskirts of of. Of, of where we're sitting now, really, and uh, and it was there's one picture on the internet of it, and and it, you just go and Google Brick House Records because it's floor to ceiling with records. It, it was a health and safety nightmare, but it was incredible, and and the amount of bad records I bought in there as well because I'd walk in there, and I think it's that scene in. In human traffic, where he puts it on, and 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 the lads are just like, right, I'm having that. And being older than you, I used to go in there, and at the time I was listening to sort of like swing beat and all the Teddy Riley stuff. And uh, and I'd go in there, and I'd be like, what's this? And he'd be like, oh, check this out. And he'd turn it up. He had an amazing rig in there, and I'd be like, oh mate, I'm having that. And I'd pay through the nose for this like 12 inch record, get it home, put it on my Matsui sound system when I got in, and it was. Freaking dreadful, and, uh, and and I've said this to, to, to Lloyd enough times since. But um, but you know you could go and buy obscure rare groove in there. You could, you know he, he knew his funk and stuff like that. you could. He knew everything, and he was on point throughout house hip hop, and and obviously through to the yeah. stuff that you was buying. You know after that. Yeah. My, so the reason my dad took me in there was my dad was looking for. Uh, Baker Street. I'm trying to think who it was by. Jerry Rafferty. Jerry Rafferty, Baker Street. A bad cover by Undercover a few years later. And then there was a State of Independence record. What, mm-hmm. was, that? what was that? Who was that by? Do you remember? State of Independence. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, a Donna Summer record originally, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and I, I remember my dad I saying, come with me wrong. and I'll buy you a record. Mm. Yeah, it's one of them. You know, 13-year-old son. Don't really want to go out anywhere with your dad. Dad saying, come with him, and I'll take you. My dad just wanted to introduce me to record shopping, I'm pretty yeah. sure of it. So he's like, I'm looking for these two records. And and true to true to form, Lloyd found them. Yep. My dad got them both that day. Oh, thank and, you uh, very much. And I, I um, my, my selection Lovely. was uh, Origin Unknown, Valley of Shadows. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And uh, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Um, and that was that. Was, that, was that. So, I, I, again, it was just... Uh, that whole, I didn't know what it was called, just in there, and immediately yeah. he was like, excuse me, to like Lloyd, who I got to know years later after he was DJing in um, Pizzazz and, and Rumours. And it's like, um, can, uh, uh, this is record I like, it's called uh, something like Long Dark Tunnel, and he's like, yeah, I yeah. know what you mean, and of course gets it, and yeah. that's that, and that was the first first record that I, that I bought, yeah. And I'll take it after that, you was a convert, a convert and, and Brickhouse was the way forward. Well, no, weirdly, I would only... I would only go to Brickhouse to find records I couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. say that. But I, because of the style of music I was into and because it was so difficult to find anything in Brickhouse unless you knew what you wanted, Yeah, um, I used to go to Vinyl Rhythm in Southend. Uh-huh. Um, and I used to... Is that the one next to the multi-story? Yeah. yeah. Got near the hairdressers and the yeah. multi-story. Um, and I used to... I used to when I first started going in there, it was by, purely by accident. HMV was just like opposite. And uh, went into HMV to find something, just have a browse, saw this little record shop, went in there, started to kind of see a few things, noticed a few uh, familiar labels, things like Perfecto and, and yeah. uh, Manifesto, and that. it was just really obvious on the wall. And um, started to talk to the guy. We had the same sort of taste in music. I was in that Sasha and Digweed, that kind of Renaissance era that was just off the back of the um, the kind of like Italo piano house stuff that he was playing at Eclipse and Shelley's and, and then up before that Hacienda and then I started getting into that and then I, I buy all my records in Vinyl Rhythm and when I first started work I I don't know how much I was earning at the time but I'm not joking when I tell you this and Norman Hage if he's listening he, he definitely would vouch for this I used to spend about 400 quid in there every other week like I would say to Norm, save the records for me, and he knew what I liked, and he obviously took the piss out of me, and used to just give me bundles of stuff. I think I probably kept that record shop. Mm. Yeah, it's no coincidence that that shut down after I stopped shopping in there. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no. And, but, and well, I should also stress that that the importance of of shops like that. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to be that person who's forever going on about how important independent record shops are, you know, or were. But not only was it. Um, uh, somewhere where you could go and buy, you know, records up front before any, you know, general release and things like that. You know, you would be able to get your hands on like, pure gold in these places, but you could get the tape packs there. And you could also get your tickets for raves there as well. Do you know what I mean? And it yeah. was as much as, you know, you would never go to Woolworths and hang out, would you? But people would, you would hang out in your <coughs> independent record shop yeah. and you would meet 
DJs and you would yep. meet like-minded people. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's a shame that that's lost, you know, to a degree now. There were, four, there were a few people uh, that I'm going to mention that really, really, really shaped my house music sound in those early days. And that, that was Norman H, who is still a really good friend of mine. We've spent a huge amount of time together. He mentored me when I decided I wanted to start my own record label after um, entering in the music industry. Um, he stayed at my house many, many times. Um, Adam Carter, who, who owned the shop, um, Gary Dubbs, uh, Matt Hammond. These people used to be proper, I don't even know any of these, but these guys used to be real, they, you know, they were real train spotters and so was I. I remember a little bit later when I, when I was, was a little bit older and started to kind of really get into what was going on. We used to go to Fabric, live and die in Fabric actually for a while, and um, we people would come to me and ask me, "What is this record?" Like I would be stood behind the decks, like actually not in the booth, behind the booth in in the main room, and there'd be something playing, and they'd come to me and they go, "What's this?" And I'd go, "It's you know Medway, my release. It's on this label. It's on bit side B, blah blah blah." Know exactly the ins and outs. I went like. I remember Koshin hired you the first time I heard that record. I was, it drove me mad because I didn't know where it was. And everyone's coming to me, what's this record? I'm like, I don't know what it is. And I was just like, I remember phoning Norman at the shop the next day from my landline to the shop landline saying, look, I heard this record yesterday. It's by a band called K because on the, on, the, on the record was just a K. And it's called, I don't know what it's called, but it says something like, if you were in my heart, you know, don't know the words, but it was like, uh, um, and I don't know how it goes. And it's just like talking to him. And I remember he called me about, uh, about eight months later, and he's like, I know what that record is. I'm like, what is it? He's like, I've got it. Come down. And I remember going down and getting it. But What a journey, though. You ain't yeah. getting that on Spotify, are you? <laughs> no, no, like, no. But that's it. You remember that as yeah. well. Do you know what I mean? That's like, I do think that's where something is lost a little bit. And yeah. I just think that it wasn't, you couldn't Shazam it, and then you, you, you're watching it on YouTube or you listen to it on Spotify. It was, and so when you got it, you really loved that, right? Yeah. Because, like, you, it was... It, you, a, you had something tangible as well, and, and it was like, right, I had to work hard to get that, and now I've got it, like, I can play it out. I asked my wife, on the, actually, on the... on the um, Earlier today, I was I was sort of in my mind preparing for this, and I said to her, i got to ask you, what, what, what house records remind you of, of, of me? And she said, hi, you. So it's like even to this day, it's like a record like that. It kind yeah. of leaves a, a big imprint on yeah. on your life. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of I understand I understand your point. But I am I am a techie, right? So I think that what's happening now is just different. I wouldn't say I, I completely yeah. agree with that as well. Yeah. Like completely agree. Like you know, things evolve. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And 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 and. You know what we had the way we was getting it was completely different to twenty years previous to us. Do you know what I mean? I get it. So the musical journey now for the for for the kids, and I, I'm sorry to keep saying kids. I mean, I just always anybody that's younger than me, I can say kids. I should. Yeah, but it's vital to your job to know what's going yeah. on, right? But the, the the thing that's going on with the younger generations is um, their referrals are slightly different now. So, firstly, <coughs> YouTube. The the recommendations for videos on YouTube are actually quite incredible. So, I don't use YouTube. I'm not I'm not a YouTube follower, but the importance of it in what we do is is, is significant. And we listen to what the community tell us. And Simon Dunmore talks to everybody when he goes to events or 
festivals or whatever. He'll, he'll be Simon's uh, the, owner the, the owner of Defected, of Defected right? Yeah. And he will go and, and talk to all of the young people and say, you know, why are you here? What brought you here? What made you interested in Defected? Um, why? Where did you find our record? And I've kind of learned from that, and I do do a similar thing. And actually, the messages that I'm starting to get are exactly what he told me people were telling him, and that is, they listen to something on YouTube, it gets a referral, they add it to their playlist, and before they know it, they notice this similarity in the pack shots, because our pack shots, our artwork for our singles are, are all um, still kind of in a relatively similar templated fashion. In the Solid brand, mate. Yeah, and the kids then go, oh, hang on, what are all these records that all look the same? Then they see it's defected, then they look into defected, and then they go, they come to an event, and then they lo love it, and then they'll kind of go to cry at like a festival or Ibiza or whatever else, and it just keeps them in the ecosystem. And that's natural. Like, that's natural out of the 20 years of quality A&R in from the label, from mm. Simon Dunmore, Andy Daniel, Luke Solomon right now, and any of the, the people that were involved before. But what um, what's interesting for me is that it will take a record like... Camel Fat and Elderbrook Cola, or a Lee Walker and DJ Dion featuring Katie B and M and E K Freak Like Me, something that's popular or you know MK's remix of Stone Queen, those sorts of records, and you must remember this journey yourself because it's exactly the same thing in technically as what I was saying earlier is, they are your ultra flavors and your your living joy dreamers or whatever else that entered me into that kind of that house music world at that mm. time. And then you kind of get involved and you don't like the commercial stuff anymore and you want to find something that's a bit different but groovy. Then you go into your own lane where you think you're cool or you want to be cool or you want to be a DJ or impress your mates or a girl or whatever it is that you're doing or a boy. Um, and then you kind of get yourself into this cycle where you realise actually you're not doing it for the right reasons and you forget why you really love music. And then you, that's when, in my opinion, you find what you really love. That's the point that you go, hang on, this is it. And that, for me, was house music. And I think this journey these kids are, are on, a, a big record, YouTube, referrals, like streaming, referrals, then they find this. They will find, I believe they will find their, their kind of true sort of love yeah, for music. Yeah. So that whole journey is... Is the same. It might not be I'm sitting in a record shop and meeting yeah, the producers. Yeah. It might not be the intimacy of having a relationship or a friendship with the person that's running the record shop or other whatever. Mm. But the kind of the, the the pathway is very is very similar. Yeah, and people are really quick to dismiss that. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's I, the same I, payoff at the end, right? You find what you like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you saw my Facebook post the other day, but I'm just having a sip of my coffee before my throat dries. <laughs> I obviously like to talk um, <clears throat> about the cameras in clubs, right? So people are up, up in arms about this all the time. And everybody's like criticising, put your phones away, put your phones away. And kids don't stand there with their phones out for seven hours. They take a picture in a moment. And it's like, you know, if, if, we, if we were, if what's going on now was relevant to to our generation, we would have probably done the same thing. Yeah. Although, I mean, I did dispose of many disposable cameras without ever developing them. But, you know, that's a different story. Yeah, of course. Um, but the kids are there, they're capturing moments, you know, it's, it's just a different day and age. And I, I think that even though it feels like that's missing, you know, we never had the internet. We couldn't do research on anything. We never had... 
the ability to search for an artist that we just discovered and mm -hmm. have their entire catalogue at our disposal. So for that reason, I understand why you know the journey appears yeah. to be different. And but I'm sure in 20 years' time, my children are going to be able to tell stories that they feel are very similar to the ones of that I course, do. of course. Okay, so <laughs> it seems. We we spoke about clubbing for so so long now that track five uh, we we should move on to it, which is the song that has uh, soundtracked your years clubbing. Are you continuing to club? Right? It's, yeah. it's, it's You know, it's your job. I mean, I I do I, I don't tend to go out to events that don't involve our artists anymore. Yeah. I'll go and check our artists on the odd occasion or perhaps an artist that we're interested in either signing or, or playing for us. But that's quite rare nowadays because we do so many events. I mean, we did 112 events last year. So I didn't go to all of them, but my time's occupied by being, you know, as managing director, he's, he's being at the events and making sure that I have a real good understanding of the production and the performance and the DJs and the staff and the operations. So what, what, what is a day, a day in the life of you uh, defective then? Like what, what, what's an average day? Oh mate, I don't think you've got enough time. <laughs> I said to our events guy, I was in an events meeting and I said to him, I feel like it's, it's February already. We've only, been, we've only had four working days back mm. and we've just smashed through so much stuff. There is no typical normal day. We have a lot of structures, uh, meetings and, and relationships and partners that we, we, we adhere to. We're constantly looking at our uh, social media and community and it's all about the community for us. I mean, everything we do is to, is to you know, offer, a, I don't want to say a service, it's, but it's to offer the, an outlet to our community. You know, people like-minded house music enthusiasts that love that what we, you know, the, the, the events or the music or the merchandise or whatever else it is that we do. And because of that, we're always constantly trying to be forward thinking and, and, and to use my, I mean, the staff will laugh at me saying this, but it's just trying to be better than the person you are yesterday. And it's like, for us as a company continuing to grow, it's, um, I, I, there isn't really a typical kind of, a typical day actually mm. um, during the summertime our time is hugely occupied by the events business particularly in Ibiza and our Croatia festival and this year we're doing our own UK festival and early in the year we we spend a lot of time setting up the year and planning out our events business our recordings business and you know my my um, key strength is, is plugging records I would say um, even though I'm managing director, I started as a singles plugger, or singles manager, my title was. It sounds like a dating agency. And um, I, my job was to promote, make sure the records were given to club DJs, essentially, when I started. And then that developed into radio plug-in. I had good relationships with, with, with um, the radio stations and now with streaming services evolving. But so... A lot of what we do, setting up records and, and, and promoting those, that can form a different timeline. Like right now, we, we were actively working a record under David Guetta's Jack Back Alias that we, you know, has, has actually reacted really well at radio and streaming, so we're kind of working that. But that, again, there's no one size fits yeah. all. Um, and I would say that's kind of pretty general across the entire business. But that's exciting, right? Yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Well, what, what song soundtrack to this? <laughs> Trying to avoid that question, wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> th there are so many, but, and I, I, you know, I can't, for me to pick 
one record is absolutely impossible. Well, but you're going to have to, mate. To talk about one record, and I'll explain why. So, I would say that the track that has soundtracked my years in Clubland is industry standard. What you want, so more I refuse to some people. So I first heard this record in 1997. Uh, I think I was in the Circus Tavern, actually. Lovely. I think. Um, and I loved it, but I was in absolute denial that I liked Speed Garage. I'd gone through the, it, like, I'm not into Garage anymore. And when UK and, and Two Step came, I was gone from the So game. what year would this have been? 97. Right. Even now, my wife, she loves Garage. She's a proper Garage girl. Like, we used to go to the, um, we used to go out together in, um, in Basildon, um, in um, Icon and Diva. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Prior to that, so the 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 um, industry standard. So I, I didn't like Garage, but I loved this record. And I, I, you know, it was at that time where I thought I was a little bit too cool, so I couldn't tell anybody. And I used to, I, it was a big, it was a big thing, part of me. And I used to love it when it came on. It was a reaction. You know, days I used to dance and used to dance away, and it was great. And then as I, I sort of changed, and then went through a, a period of time where I stopped going out when my children were born. Because uh, my wife was into garage, I was trying to find like a happy medium of of stuff that we could both listen to, mm. and, and a lot of the kind of garage um, tracks that we both uh, liked. This was one of them, so I'd listen to it quite a lot. And then when I started going clubbing again, and I started getting it, and I started working in the music industry, and I started DJing again with Marky C, he would play the record. Then we created a brand called Want More and we would play the record and then even like i said even as last year in my final dj set um in at croatia i played the sunshine brothers refused remix of it um and it's just it, i said again talking to my wife about this as i was going through my 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 records i've been listening to and playing this record for nearly 22 years that's crackers isn't that it that's mental yeah that is absolutely insane. And I listened to it on the way here. And I was just like, still love it as much as i ever done. I've never, yeah. I must have listened to that record over a thousand times in my life, easily. Are you one of the people, if you, I mean, you've kind of answered that already, but like, if you hear a, a track and you just think, mate, I love this, will you play it 20 times? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't mean over a period of time. I mean that day. Yep. Like just play it, play it, play it, play it, play it in the car, play it again. Yeah. Like. Part of my, um, I mean, I've run my own labels with smaller labels and I set up labels and I've been involved in labels and like prior to my life with Defected and um, part of my A and R strategy, I would listen to a record if I li- like. If I, I mean, I could. I'm quite. You remember that old needle drop thing? You listen to a record. Yeah. No, don't like that. Yeah. You know you don't like that. You listen to the second of it. Well, I know that. So you kind of get that, but if I think, oh, I actually do like this, I will yeah. listen to it twenty times. So my sorry, my kids, right? There's a record called um, uh, "So Hooked on Your Loving" by Solace, which is uh, Felix from Basement Jacks, which we released undefected last year. And uh, when it came out, the kids were singing it, right? And I was like, I said to them both, "How do you know this record?" And they went. Dad, you played it about 25 times the other day. And I was like, oh, yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> That'd be it. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you'd set up labels and, and, and stuff like that, small labels pre- previous to, to, to your work with Defective. So for someone from East Tilbury, like 
we, we've grown up in very very similar areas and and I'm always fascinated to 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 know where that because I, I don't think in the schools in this area that we grow up in and it's a, it's quite a minority of people that 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 try and pursue something creative within the arts and music and 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 and, and really throw themselves at it you know I, there's a lot of us that but then in this area but then I, that's why I was surprised that I don't think that me and you have yeah. met previous to this because everybody that is in that seems to know each other because it's you know if there's not many of you you seem to come together and sort of help each other out a little bit do you know what I mean yeah. like so was you always even like going back to when you was getting you know your dad's giving you cold cut records was you dissecting them why you like them you know and and, and then starting to think right well as you sort of found the stuff that you was getting into, is that what sort of, at what point did you think, well, I, I want to do this. I want to actually do it myself. I know you said that you, you, you started producing some, some bits and bobs and you had your sampler previous to that. Right? Was you encouraged with, with, with the people you was surrounded by at school? Did you go to college? And, and I fired a lot of questions at you no, there. That's all right. But do you see where I'm going with it? Like, yeah. When, let, me, I, let me tell you my, let me tell you my, my, my journey in that, in that regard. So, my parents bought us decks, 1994. I'd already bought, I already had access to playing records and I wasn't mixing and my, uh, because I was buying, I bought, because I bought the Valley of Shadows and I started buying jungle records and I bought a collection off of someone with like 20 records or whatever else. And because of that, I was into jungle and I couldn't mix it for shit. Like mm -hmm. I literally was terrible. And my mates used to come around, let's go on your decks. I had no idea what to do. I was terrible. I had Gemini belt drives and a Newmark mixer and two, mm. ja um, two Jamo speakers. And I loved it, but I couldn't mix, right? Then, even though my cousins had been giving me those records, I never considered mixing them, weirdly. And it was, I had two versions of um, Nightcrawlers and I'd, I'd, um, I'd just put them on and I'd, Taped over the uh, the pitch uh, Vader on the on the decks, and then I started one, and then I started the other one four beats behind it, and then I would try to mix it in time without looking at the pitch Vader, right? So I was just like changing it to a point, and then I mix them, and then I would be like switching between the two records, and then I realised, hang on a minute, these records, these house records with four beats, is much easier to mix yeah. than jungle. So I started then mixing house music, and it was all four four, right? <clears throat> and um, so that got me into DJing, and then from there, I, I mean, in all honesty, I did blag it a little bit. Like I told the guy um, that was DJing, I can't remember his DJ name. Glennie's name was. He used to play in um, in Diva. Told him I DJed out. I had, an, and he let me play um, in in Diva. It was like a practice go, and I, I went and had a kind of like a, a played played in there. That was great. I was uh, entering competitions, was doing stuff, you know, and it, then I was—I I remember being in home in Leicester Square and blagging to the guy and telling him that I'd play, like, played here, there, and everywhere. And he gave me a set at Nine Hill Arts Club, and then I tried—I played at um, Lazy Dog, with, and it's just like, in all honesty, that whole and the bomb in Nottingham, I'd blagged it. I—I was blagging it at that time. And actually, I think what happened. But was, you knew you could DJ, right? Yeah, but I think actually, I think when I look back on my life, I, I do think things happen for a reason. I'm not spiritual or anything in any way, but I do think things happen for a reason. And actually, getting a second wind was probably was probably right because 
what happened was on the day that um, like Zabila got signed to Accession, and I, me and him were like really good pals at the time, and not that we had a falling out, we just lives changed paths. But um, we, my, my now wife, fell pregnant, so I decided to focus on a career in what I was doing on my day job, which was investment banking. And I would do that and bring up my children and do what's right. And I stopped going out. And my daughter was born in like May 99, my son in April 2002. We were married with two children by the age of 20. Well, I, was, I wasn't even 22 when my son was born. I was nearly 22. She's young, right? And um, we, so I concentrated on that. And then in 2008, um, so my brother was three years younger than me. Um, I was 27 at the time, he was 24. And he was uh, my soulmate. And he was diagnosed with leukemia and he died 23 days later. Oh, and um, my whole world was turned upside down. And I, um, I'd been in working in investment banking. I was promoted every two years I was there. I was vice president on the way to director. Would have been the youngest director I think that they would have had at that stage. I remember my boss telling me. Um, and I, that was that. So I just remember after he died and I went through all, all of that, I just went to see my manager and I was like, you know what? I just don't want to do this anymore. I just, and he's like, you know what, you've done such a great job. See it all through. Once you've done all these things, you don't actually have a job. So, you know, I can make you redundant. Took me 18 months for that to happen. And, and the day before my 30th birthday, 24th of June, I was made redundant. And the day after I set up, my, I took over and set up my own label family. Um, I got my first paycheck three months later, it was 265 quid. I thought if I'm gonna make a living out of this, I'm gonna have to pull my finger out my ass. And I created a label suite um, of, of five labels, which included a community development arm, which went on to teach young people how to produce music. And um, the part of it, um, Eight Media, which is in Stratford, is uh, still running now. And that's seen the tutors and the school have seen people um, go through or work with kids like um, like Jay Huss and Notes. And um, there's a, a Dobby who's a DJ and with, with Mr. Jam. She's um, been on like producing at Radio 1 or whatever. And some good people came through that. And um, anyway, I was I got to a point. So after leaving banking, sorry, brother dying, leaving banking, starting my own shit, I got to a point where I was just like, I literally don't know how much further I can go here. And I was just at home one night, and I I was writing records. I mean, I've written a lot of records over the years and worked with a lot of people. And I uh, was sitting at home. It was about three in the morning, and I was like looking at my finances, looking at the release schedule, looking how much time I didn't have in my life, and I thought, right, I'd, I'd met as part of the community development thing. I'd met um, a, a, a friend of mine, uh, James Fennins, had introduced me to Kevin Saunderson, um, and Kevin Saunderson had spoken to Marshall Jefferson, who told who Kevin had told Marshall that his sons could do with someone teaching them how to produce. So we come up with this concept which we called First Steps and and, and uh, we were teaching young people how to produce and, and Kevin's two sons, Damari and Dantes, were part of that with myself and James. So Kevin Sanderson, for people that uh, are unaware of who he is. Uh, Kevin is a, a techno legend. Um, he was part of, he still is part of Inner City. Good Life is probably the most uh, popular record that listeners may know and, and he's he's been... Um, it was one of the forefathers of Absolutely. techno, um, alongside Derek May and Juan Atkins. In fact, I had a label once called Sounds of One, which was based on Juan Atkins, actually. Yeah. The idea was to, to release those sorts of records. Um, so, at that point, I um, would wrote a record with a singer called Sherry Van Dyer. I mean, we wrote three records together. One which was called Fire and remixed by Grant Nelson, which was number one in the dance charts. 
at that time, which was a bit more of a garagey record. Uh, we did a record called Bus and Move, which even to this day, I wish I'd have produced it better because it could have been a bigger record, but it just came and went. And we wrote this record called Sanctify My Love. And it was a real a slow down house record. So Kevin said, I, I played it to Kevin, he, he liked it. He said, send it to Simon Dunmore. Kevin had just done some work with Simon, did a in the house comp, um, and he had a record coming out. Um, there was there was a couple of records, but Future was the one that Kenny Larkin ended up remixing. That was a, a big record at that time. It was around deep house sort of time of, of for house music. So I emailed Simon to sanctify your love uh, for Soul Heaven, uh, and he politely declined. And I knew of Simon, and in my mind, uh, I always, as a businessman and as a house enthusiast, I always wanted one day to be my own. Simon Dunmore is that cheesy yeah, saying that of course not um, but I wanted to be like a, a, you know a guy that run a, a credible label I wanted to help people develop yeah. and all the things that I was doing and I sent him an email I said look this is who I am this is what I've done um, I would love a mentor so Simon said to me uh, he, he responded um, wasn't that long actually a couple of days how and long was Simon had Defected up and running for at this point. Well, it's been twenty years since nineteen ninety nine. So right. this was this email exchange was probably February two thousand and fourteen. Okay. Um, and he said to me, "Come in for a chat." So I went in, and Simon's time was really precious. And I went in, and it was we we had a chat, and I was there for nearly three hours. Right, it was insane. And I just you know got on really well. A lot to say. Told you know spoke about lots of things. And I remember him saying, um, have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? And I said, yeah. And he said, I believe you could sell me this pen, is what he said. And I was like, okay. So I went home. That was that. I thought, okay, I've learned some good things, you know, some good advice. I kind of now know what I need to what I need to do. A couple of days later, um, I had a chest infection, right? Now, there's a, several parts of this story that never happen. Firstly, if I'm ill in bed, my phone is not on. My phone was on. Secondly, if I'm ill in bed and my phone is on... It's not off of airplane mode. My phone was off airplane mode. Third thing, I never answer a message. Uh, it calls while I'm in bed or ill from un unknown numbers. This number came up, didn't know it was. Answered the phone. Hi, Wes, this is Simon Dunmore. I said, oh, hi, Simon. He's like, uh, and I said, you know, thanks for calling. Whatever, you know, what is it? You know, we're trying to find out what he wants. And um, he said, I want to offer you a job. So I said, okay. What is it doing? He said, uh, club promotions. And my initial reaction was, I thought you wanted me to be a promoter. And I'm yeah. like, oh, fuck, like, I'm not a promoter. And he went, no, no, it's, um, I need you to, to get records in the hands of DJs, club DJs. And I thought, oh, he's going to pay me for that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that all day long. Yeah. So, started Defected, to March 2017th of March 2014. Um, first record I worked was an Aaron record called Feeling This on DFTD and the next two records I worked were Gerd Still Believe and Oliver Dollar Pushing On um, and with Pushing On I, I, I kind of took the ball by the horns and capitalised on every single play to the point that it was on Playlist and Radio 1 and it ended up being number 19 in the UK chart that summer um, shortly after that with MK Always and I'd kind of proven that I could not only work club but radio and we at that time defected slowly but surely stopped working with um, the companies that did radio servicing and yeah. I was doing it myself and so they took all the plugging in house pretty much pretty at this much point. To, 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 uh, to a point like mm. if we were too busy or there was too much going on or we were worried about 
it being a risk or we were working with a partner like Atlantic or like um, Ministry of Sound who wanted to work with Plover, we would. Uh, and typically we would work with, we worked with Listen Up on MK Always, we worked with Your Army for uh, SKT, Take Me Away and Freak Like Me. Oh no, SKT was um, in-house with Atlantic, um, Freak Like Me was with um, was with Your Army. But during that time I, I had, um, I, I retained responsibility of being club promotions guy and radio, in-house radio plugger, and I was executive producer of the radio show, and then I became head of marketing, and when the, when the, uh, like, uh, sorry, head of marketing for recordings, and then head Spinning of all them plates at once? For the business, yeah, and then the, when the managing director, the previous managing director, a guy called Dan Baxter, who, who I learned an awful lot from, actually, he was a, he was a, he was a good guy, and he, he, his tenure came, to, to an end, um, he, Simon, I remember Simon, went, we went to lunch with Simon and he'd spoken to me about what my aspirations were and, and he said, do you want the managing director's job? And I, I was like, yes, of course. So I, I was then at a point where all of my years of experience as a wannabe DJ, all of my years of experience as, as running my own labels, all of my years experience in the corporate world and everything led me to that point. And that's the way I, I look at it today is all of my life experiences, everything I've ever done since, I, since the moment my dad played me Mars Pump Up The Volume led me to this point. It all so, happens for a reason, right? And it all happens for a reason. And it's, um, you know, my wife will tell you, my mother-in-law will tell you, and she's, she's uh, you know what mother-in-laws are like. I'm sure she's not very um, complimentary of the rest of, uh, um, well, I should I say all of us son-in-laws, um, but she'll tell you, you know, I, w I do work hard, um, mm. I, and I've, you know, success is not, you, is not an entitlement. It's mm. something you have to earn every single day, uh, and I live and breathe it. And the house music all life long logo that we have this year is really testament to that. And it, for me, it's it has been and it will always be house music all life long. Wonderful. Well, track six, we're going to keep it. Um, we're going to keep it in Essex. And uh, and I asked you to pick a favourite song from an artist from uh, from our hometown or, or county, I think we should say. So, um, during that whole time, I was set up my own label family. I was DJing at Ministry of Sound um, and Darren Emerson was playing and um, him and I became good friends and then he asked me if I wanted to uh, take uh, responsibility of managing his record label, D-Tone. And at the time, Matt Jagger... Um, who now manages Pearl Disco Machine amongst others was managing Darren and when he left I took on the responsibility of managing Darren and Darren and I have a very dear relationship although I haven't seen him for a while and I miss him um, so, so Darren had left Underworld and by he this left point? Underworld mm -hmm. and um, the reason I'm, I'm telling you all this is because actually one of my favourite songs from someone in my home county is something Darren was involved in and that is Underworld Dark and Long Dark Train um, I heard Sasha play it uh, and then I was on train spot in in the scene where he's crawling up the walls when he's you know on cold turkey and Millennium Eve Sasha played it and it was a big record for me and again it's it's something that um, it's, it's, it reminds me of my youth culture it reminds me of my friendship with Darren and it's just an amazing amazing record. So I, I mean it's it's quite well documented just how fucking incredible Underworld are as a band yeah. and. Uh, any other nods to, to people from Essex that, yeah? Um, in, musically, I mean, 
actually, weirdly, because I never really considered Depeche Mode as a as a dance band in my head, even though you know what I mean. It's like a weird kind of thing. It's it was, um, but but my my mother in law's husband, he he, you know, they dance. It's dance music, so it's, it's quite interesting. The areas, but Depeche Mode made some incredible songs. They're they're, they're in my top three bands of all yeah. time. And Prodigy, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and I, I would say, and an Underworld, those three are, are for by by far. I mean. And for electronic music, if we look at them three bands, <laughs> they were pivotal in, 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 in if, we, if we focus more on maybe the Prodigy and Underworld for a moment and, and that kind of, um, sort of mid-90s, I guess, they made, they really led the charge, I guess with the Chemical Brothers as well, for, for, for making it a, a live performance as well. In, in, you know, because up until then... Dance music wasn't tr- transcending into big music festivals as such. I guess all bit had done stuff, but but that them they they were the front runners, right? And yeah. they 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 just stamped it on and 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 opened it up as well to you know bands like Underworld, Prodigy, you know, and Depeche Mode, I guess as well. Were indie kids are into it, rock kids were into it. Do you know what I mean? It, it, stadium stadium acts completely. Stadium acts. Last year, if I'm not mistaken Depeche Mode played to more people in America than any other artist what do you call Depeche Mode do you call them a dance band uh, I would call them a oh I don't know <laughs> they're an electronic band electronic isn't they? yeah that's, that's me. I, I totally agree I there was a I mean there's a couple of things Underworld I was a I was a fan of Underworld and then I was a fan of Darren Emerson and I I say was I am still a fan of Underworld and Darren Emerson but I followed Underworld around for a bit. I went, I mean, everything, everything, live tour, I think was the last one I'd seen. But I'd, I'd seen about four or five gigs up to that point. Um, and I, there's a few things like, the, you know, stories that are not mine to tell that I, the, the, you know, my relationship with Darren that always kind of fascinated me. Um, and one I think I can say is like, even to this day, I was I was at Darren's house when um, when the Olympic opening ceremony was about to happen. And, Danny Boyle had called him up and invited him to the Olympics. It's just like shit like that. That's yeah. how big that is. And then all of a sudden, six or eight Underworld records are played in the ceremony. It's like, that just, like, you've got to take into account what yeah. that is, like, how big that is. Yeah. On Blu rays and DVDs that are watched by, I mean, on the TV, yeah, watched by a that. billion people or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's some going, eh? Something I mean, you've done in a studio has yeah. reached that yeah. in one hit as well. Yeah. Like, it's unfathomable, isn't it? Yeah. Like to try and get to sleep that night, trying to process <laughs> that. That 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 can't be, you know. For the likes of myself, I don't know how I would comprehend no. that that kind of global awareness and impact of your art. Yeah. You know. And they, and they, to sometimes I think those you know you know what it's like, right? Younger generations that grow up, the things are like maybe not as kind of in their face as they were and whatever, and it's just like. I think that to go back to your point earlier about the people not necessarily looking in and researching these things, it's it's there's a lot of things that go now. You know, there'll be a record like the um, what's the Freaky Friday record or whatever it was that was number one the other week. Yeah, yeah. Was, that was number one streaming only. I mean, God knows how many streams that's had, but there are records there with like three hundred million plus streams that you that are not like amazing and then you've got records like Born Slippy and Dark and Long and Res and Cowgirl and mm. whatever else that probably their streams in comparison are 
uh, uh, probably don't don't stand up against a yeah. Sia record or a David Guetta record yeah. or you know whatever else Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber because they're all cool relevant at a time and technology is relevant. But the the stories behind those records the. The emotion, the experiences will will you know they'll they'll live legacy in their family and friends forever. And mm. like I say, for me, Dark and Long is such an important record. Yeah. But Born Slippy as well. It's like, that could have been up for intro. I mean, I would have. I, I did put Born Slippy, and then I changed it to Res, and then I changed yeah. it to Cowgirl, and then I changed it to Dark and Long. But Do, Res and Cowgirl for intro as well. What yeah. amazing intros on those two records? Absolutely, absolutely. What was the live Underworld album? Everything, everything. Fuck me. Yeah. Just yeah, it was after was it just after around the same time as Boku Fish? Yeah, I mean Boku Fish for me is just uh, a lot of people say um, some of the earlier albums, but Boku Fish is the best was their best yeah. album for me. I start to finish what an album, yeah, what an album, what band, yeah, what band. Final track, Wes. So <coughs> you haven't actually sent me this one yet. No, so I, I wasn't sure because um, because of the way of the world and as as a plugger myself. So the last track, and I should just quickly point out, is a song that a lot of you, well, hopefully not many of you will know, and it's Wesley's chance to, to be DJ and, 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 and give you a heads up on something you, you probably haven't heard that he'd like you to hear. I'm going to pick a record. Oh, so Sorry, the reason I haven't sent it to you is because we're quite strict with what we allow to be played. Um, if it's not available on streaming services, we, we tend to kind of keep it until it is before premiere on the radio. But this record has been played on one of our own radio shows, so I'm, I think I'm good to, to talk about it. And it's um, a track uh, from my very dear friend, Low Stepper, who um, was, uh, it, my, we, we worked together for, for many years, I signed records from him. We worked around Simmer Black together and we have a, a very dear relationship and he's got a record coming on Defected uh, called You're My Life. Um, and it is coming out in March and it is very different to what Low Stepper's fan base may be used to. It shows a real heritage sign to, side to him. Um, it has, you know, disco influence, it's a house record. It goes absolutely off when it's played. Um, and I hope you'll be pleasantly surprised. Fantastic. What are you up to tomorrow, Wes? Back to work, mate. Back to work. I say back to work. I'm in work again tomorrow. Day of... Uh, what, what am I doing tomorrow? My day is uh, consisting of... Um, we have some announcement planning for the year. Okay. So we're making sure that our announcement schedule is completely um, tip-top fashion for Q1 this year. Um, and then we have an afternoon of strategy planning. And tomorrow night, I'm going to do um, one of the other things I love, and that's go date night with my son and, to, and daughter to see Aquaman. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Wes, it's been a real pleasure. No, thank you very and, much for having me. And, and thank you so much for, t for telling the story. And, and, and long may your creative journey continue and, and, and all the best to you and, and defected and thanks to, to your wife for the coffee and these amazing home baked <laughs> I'm sure she'll like that she'll be hitting you up for guest list mate don't you worry thanks buddy care, there you have it what a lovely man had a really good chat with Wes um, bizarre that he, we'd literally live five minutes from each other and, and we've both spent our whole lives working in music and DJing and, 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 and labels and such and we've never really met so um, it was a real joy to 
to finally sort of meet up and, and, and have a good chat. And we, we continue to chat long after the podcast as well. And uh, yeah, absolute gentleman. So as I said before, if you like this and you want to hear more from um, creative people and about how their journeys have unfolded and the songs that soundtrack that, just go and subscribe. And then that way every week it just pop up on your listening device. And if you want even more, then we have a Patreon page where we put out a weekly radio show as well, uh, where you can hear all the songs in full and stuff like that. Um, www.patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track. The best place to go and find out about everything, where you can check the back catalogue, you can see merch, you can see about Patreon, you can find out everything you need to know about off the beaten track. Just go to www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Have a lovely week, and I'll see you next week. Bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.